0: Boom! Back in the studio. Here we are. Seasonal and fun tour. We uh, we've touched on the maple sap season here in Wisconsin. We've gone into turkey hunting. Here we are. A Little uh, intro into foraging with my friends Chris and Kelly. We're gonna dive into who they are, what the, where they're from, and uh, kind of their background in foraging today. So I'm excited. I know we've uh, got a growing number of people interested in uh, learning how to just find food wherever you're out and about so hopefully this helps and I'm in a number of uh, Midwest or Wisconsin uh, foraging groups where I think having this intro information out there will uh, help a lot of people so here we go foraging shout out first of all to all of the patrons of the show thanks for supporting on patreon thanks to Schultz family beef for being a uh, sponsor of the show if you're looking for Wisconsin pasture-raised beef shipped to your door. Check them out at Schultze Family Farms. They do a great job curating their box each and every month for delivery, and then there's also customizable options as well. And they do giveaways. Uh, for those of you looking to buy a uh, quarter or half cows, they do some, some awesome giveaways for that. So check out Schultze Family Beef. Shout out to the patrons of the show and if you're in the stevens point area keep an eye out for our lonely uh, csa meal prep workshops with lonely oak farm they're the uh, csa farm we use here at d1 training stevens point the gym i coach at we're going to be doing some meal prep series with joel and his crew over there at farm shed each and every month so excited to do those again this year what else we got going on we've got Uh, Some Hike to Hunt kicking off here with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, so stay tuned for some events with that. Pint nights, cleanup, work days, hiking days, paddling days, all that kind of good stuff. Excited for summer 2021, so here we go. Enjoy the show. All right, we are back in the studio seasonal AF who are going strong here. We had, we had maple, the maple sap run we covered. We went in the, learn the Turkey hunt. We're going to have a recap here soon And once uh, Kelly Van Beek is actually not Turkey hunting, which is rare. Cause she, she's hunted four different units in Wisconsin. She hunted in Michigan. She's been all over the place. She's uh, I forget how many people, different people she's hunted with this year, but once she's out of the woods, we're going to lock her down to regroup with our turkey hunting mentees and peggy from becoming an outdoors woman but today is the foraging episode i know for some people they think it might be late because morale ramps hills, that kind of stuff is those are like the the hot sexy popular ones but i've got a few people here where i think we're we're all going to learn a bunch and we're going to learn that there's way more to forage and eat from wisconsin i'm joined in the studio with kelly from becoming an outdoors woman hi kelly hi Glad to, glad to have you in the studio.
1: Thanks,
0: me too. I'm um, excited to do more with uh, Bo in the podcast studio this year, so appreciate you jumping in. We've done, we've climbed trees, cutting down, <laughs> uh, uh, picking up the woods together for real prep uh, content, so um, it's cool to have you in the studio.
1: Thanks.
0: And we are joined by Chris Gavin. Chris out of Dane County. I don't know where specifically, if you want to divulge That's that. Awesome.
2: Just west of Madison and Cross Plains.
0: West of Madison. So, Chris owned, runs, Eagle Outdoor Skills. The first time I met Chris was at the BHA Wisconsin Rendezvous. 2018? Was that it? Aldo Leopold, right? 2018? Yeah. So long ago. So, like, I didn't put too... Like, we talked about foraging for a brief moment. You're, like, you got your cargo pants on. You got your... (laughs) Which makes sense because if you forage a lot, you need pockets everywhere, something to hold it with. And then flip-flops. And you kept talking about soil foraging. I'm like, who is this guy? Right? We don't have to talk. It's at a BHA event, it's rare not to have somebody that wants to show you grip and grins or like any any of the standard traditional like hunting stuff, right? That like kind of bores me to tears at this point. Like I'm not interested in that stuff. But Chris is out over, over here talking about foraging, the land ethic, and actually exciting stuff to talk about in the outdoor space. So, Chris, I've been a big fan of your work. Um, All of your food pictures, just amazing. The content you put out. And I'm excited to kind of get this conversation rolling uh, and share what you know to people and then also uh, get people going to your classes, your outdoor events.
2: Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Chris, how did, let's, Kelly,
0: you got any questions for Chris before we can No. No. Cool.
2: So, we're going to
0: We'll start with Kelly, and then we're gonna jump over to Chris and see kind of how he got into this. Kelly, what 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 uh, interests you about foraging? Why do you enjoy picking your picking your food up from the ground, the dirt?
1: So for me, it was um, the way that we grew up. I uh, came from a family that didn't rely on really a grocery store. We um, hunted and fished for all of our meat, and we foraged for most of our, foraged or grew most of our vegetables and fruits. Uh, so it, I didn't even realize that they're, you know, like chicken and beef and pork was a huge treat. So when, when I got to school, I didn't realize that other kids actually ate that way. Um, it was like a super big eye-opening event for me to to have like pizza and, um, chicken nuggets and things like that. Um, it's a family tradition for us. It was just a lifestyle. So, you know, it, I have, um, journals from my great-grandmother that has, um, different things to forage at different times of the year, recipes, uh, a lot of herbal remedies that I still use. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it wasn't just a, you know, it's, it was all of us as a family going out to to do these things, and since it was how we lived, uh, we learned throughout the year and uh, foraged as much as possible. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, it. like it.
0: and real quick, how did you how did you become involved with Bo? We don't have to go. That could that could be its own episode for sure. Yeah. Um, but how what, what drew you to that program?
1: Um, when I came to school. Uh, at the College of Natural Resources and got my degree there. And Chris Thomas, who was the founder of the program, was one of my professors. And just through the interactions within the classroom, she asked me to be an instructor. And so um, I was an instructor for a couple of years. And then when I graduated, I became the coordinator for the Wisconsin program Mm -hmm. uh, and then also helped with an international program to go around and do some
0: public speaking. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for bringing all that to this uh, episode. I'm excited for all the forging stuff, Chris. How'd you get like? How'd you get into forging, man? You just stuffing stuff in your mouth? Like, what? What did that look like? What did your childhood look like for you?
2: My story is actually almost the exact opposite of Kelly's. Um, you know, I was raised in the in this. I grew up in the city of Sheboygan and. Uh, Fishing game was not really part of of my diet. Um, it wasn't quite like Wonder Bread white, you know. My parents my parents limited sweetened sweetened breakfast cereals and 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 whatnot. But uh, for me, foraging kind of started where, where it started really for a lot of us, and that was we would go out on my grandparents' back forty and pick black cap raspberries to make a pie. And and for me, um, almost the opposite of Kelly's like chicken nuggets was that was the one thing that was kind of different and a real treat and a little bit exotic to me Um, but after doing it for a few years and and my mother took me out looking for morels right around right around Mother's Day every year you know I I picked up two or three things as a kid and then as I grew up I just kind of grew it a little bit of a little bit at a time but uh, in my early 20s it just it just really took off where I Started just being fascinated with the, the natural landscapes, and and uh, and then it, it just always interested me to see what how we could have relationships with the various different plants and animals around us, whether it's for food or medicine or just knowing more about it. You know, just that that sense of curiosity. So it kind of took off from there. I'm a, I'm an adult onset hunter. I didn't start hunting until my mid-20s or so. I was raised in a, in a household where butter knives were a little bit on the, the sketchy side of uh, things <laughs> around. Um, fortunately, I did pick up I did pick up hunting before my uh, grandfather passed away, and he mentored me. And, you know, a lot of people start out, uh, hopefully, I, I always recommend people start out with like squirrel or small game, and I just jumped right into it with white tail hunting about about 20 years ago now, and um, it just, it, it hooked me, it just that that feeling of being integrated into the ecosystem, feeling, I mean, it gives me almost a sense of community to feel like I'm, to, to know that I'm drawing my food, my sustenance, um, and w- w- both, both physical and spiritual sustenance off of the land. Uh, it just makes me feel at home, like I'm not a stranger when I walk out my front door, so... Um, you know, a lot of people on my foraging classes will ask me, "Oh, how did you start off foraging?" I'm like berry picking as a kid, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm a forager too." So uh, a lot, a lot of us are. You know, as long as we can identify a raspberry and know that it's that that's definitely a raspberry and safe to eat, then you know, you're you already you're already started. Definitely
0: agreed. How do I guess? How did that morph? How did you starting to forage? And hunt from the land, live off the land. How did that become something you wanted to teach? Like you're you're leading these classes, these groups. What did that transition look like?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I just o- over the years I would pick up a, a few plants at a time, or start hunting and hunting a new species. And uh, after, it it doesn't take long. You know, sometimes it'd be in fits and spurts. Like I'd learn you know, 20 or 30 new plants that were, are edible in a season and some seasons I'd pick up like two or three all season long. Um, but after a few years, you know, I, I started realizing that not, not everybody does this and not everybody um, <laughs> knows about these things. And uh, I started volunteering, uh, giving classes on a volunteering basis on uh, with uh, Dane County Parks and some other entities and just kind of, you uh, I really wanted to share this information with other people and my wife at one point said you know people are really interested in this the locavore movement is kind of big right now people would pay for you to give classes and I was like I don't think so and she's like well your volunteer classes are filling right up so you know clearly people are interested in this so I put my shingle out there and uh, I teach all sorts of different outdoor skills just because I like to spend time outdoors and and pick up pick up different things but uh Definitely by far the foraging classes have been have been the most popular. Uh, and I'm I'm still learning all the time. I'm picking up things. You know, when I when I teach classes, I might be up there talking until my audience is blue in the face. But, you know, even though I'm throwing information at them, I'm pointing out different plants, I'm answering questions. Every single class I have, someone will say, Oh, well, I learned this about this one plant. And and for whatever reason, that's not a, a plant or an aspect of that plant that I'm familiar with. And boom, I'm suddenly I'm in learning mode too and picking up new information. So, you know, it's, it's just a lifelong pursuit where I'm glad to share it with other people, but I'm also glad to continue to learn it uh, in terms of like why I share it with people. You know, I'm, I'm not making, I'm not making a, a ton of nettle money showing people uh, where, where, where they can find food out in the woods. Um, it's definitely not a a full-time gig for the for the vast majority of people who forage uh, in this country but I'm just of the firm conviction that if people forge a relationship and an understanding uh, with their environment with all the different community members of their environment then I don't have to worry about whether these things are going to be protected and you know perpetuated into the future I, I don't have to worry about How people are going to vote when it's you know whether it's a a municipal vote to protect a natural area or or you know at the you know national level elections um, or or just people volunteering their time and service to to help out with things I just feel like as long as people have an increasingly intimate connection with their with their natural environment they'll be inclined to protect those places and things. Definitely.
0: Love it. Kelly, as, as someone who does similar work to Chris, um, what kind of resonated with you with that? Or what have you seen over the years you've been doing it?
1: So foraging has become increasingly popular as people are trying to create a food connection as to where their food comes from, um, especially with younger generations. Um, you know, there were There were other classes with the BOW program that were super popular 10 years ago. But right now, one of the most popular classes is is foraging. And I think it's to create that connection with their food. Um, But also I think people are liking to learn and um, be independent with being able to harvest their foods Mm. and learn those skills. And it's it's an accomplishment for them. And you can see it when when they're, they're very empowered by being able to to go out into nature and and harvest their their own foods it, it makes them feel like if there are ever they collapse within the grocery system or things like that that they would be able to find their their own sustenance
0: mm-hmm. definitely I like it I like it I I know from my like the little world I work in with health and fitness the local vore movement is definitely it's definitely growing oh, more sure. people are involved we've got we've got local eggs dropped off at the gym like i'm super I'm, I'm pumped about that we've got partnerships with different local farmers so i'm not i'm not the the the, the coach pushing you know fat burners or protein shakes or all this these, these supplements i'm like nope here are some local farmers. We got eggs from them. This is what I'm this is what I'm offering up. We've got a, a CSA we do every year. I've, I've got a garden I grow out there, and it's super cool to see all these people getting interested. I'm giving away my started seeds. Um, Marissa and I, we give those to people at the gym for their home gardens, which is super cool. A lot of people are members of Farm Shed here in Stevens Point, which is awesome. And then this the foraging thing is definitely a big step right for a lot of people even though uh just this year one of our members they sent me a picture they're like hey what's this mushroom i'm like that's a morel where'd you find that they're like well i've got like a dozen of them in my backyard and we burned them all because we thought the dog was gonna be poisoned by them and i'm like oh no oh so we've got (laughs) we've got that going on right like that's the level of Understanding, many of us have, and I'm not, I'm not judging them. Like that's just where we're at with our relationship with the earth is, we don't even realize like we for the vast majority of what we've been eating from the land, right? These things we're talking about, we're growing that we that are growing. We're we're living with. That's what we were feeding ourselves with. So yeah, I, I get when I when I or I'll pick up puffball mushrooms at the gym, like when we're all outside working out. I'm like, hey, puffball, cool. And then I'll literally like chop it up at the gym, eat it, grill, get the grill going and cook up some food. And people are like, what are you doing? That's gross. I'm like, well, (laughs) your food, your food grows from the ground. It just doesn't necessarily have to be in this perfectly square rectangle field, right? Like the whole earth has these nutrients and all of these different species that grow. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting, uh, kind of Little micro circles we're all operating in and exposing people to this uh, idea of foraging.
1: I think a big take out of uh, harvesting invasive species yes. because they're often harmful to the environment. So if I can harvest something that's that's invasive and mm-hmm. just use it like crazy, mm-hmm. I think that that's a cool way to.
2: Oh, for yeah, and I, I always touch on sustainability, because it's an important thing to me in my foraging classes, and, and one thing I, I try to drive home is that sustainability looks so different from one species to the next, you know, you've got ramps on one end of the spectrum where, depending on, on the habitats, you might want to just harvest a very small amount, or perhaps just the tops all the way over to garlic mustard where I, I tell people I pick six times as much garlic mustard as I need to eat when I'm picking it for food much less when I'm going out and just bagging the stuff to remove it from the landscape on the other end of the spectrum. Um, so you definitely have to kind of know you have to know the plants which I think is really intimidating for a lot of people you know they're like I don't know any of the plants and, and I, I, I always tell people you know, plants are just like people, fungus too, um, it's, it's all just a game of familiarity, you know, if you go into a party, and you know, nobody, or let's say, you know, two people out of 60, it's a very different experience for you than if you go into, into that same party, and all of a sudden, you only don't know two people, and you know, you know, 60 people, you're having a totally different, you're having a totally different situation, and and you have people say, "Oh well, these plants look just alike," and you know they look a lot alike. But there's got to be differences, otherwise there wouldn't be there wouldn't be two different plants. And I tell people, you know, your mother could have an identical twin. You're going to be able to tell the difference from across a crowded gymnasium which one is which because you're so familiar with those individuals. You'd be hard pressed to explain the difference to somebody else, but but you know the difference. And then plants are like people too where some of them just really stand out you know there's that one guy who's six foot eight or you know there's there's that individual that that likes to wear a mohawk um so you can just kind of you can point them out right away um but it's it's just a familiarity game so you know when people say oh well, where do i start it seems so daunting you know what what's poisonous what's not poisonous i mean we don't have a lot of plants in wisconsin that are going to put you six feet under if you have a nibble so if if you want to learn if you want to learn those like three or four plants, you know that that's not too hard to get a handle on. Oh, you know what I did when I first started foraging is I actually drew I drew what poison hemlock looked like and I drew what death Commas looked like, and you know pretty soon I was like, well I know these three or four plants. I'm I'm not going to go out and harvest them. And at this point, you know there's all sorts of ones that are moderately toxic or whatnot. But you know it's all a game of you know, pick one plant at a time and and do a deep dive into it or pick a few and just kind of get to know them a little bit better, whatever your learning style is. But it doesn't take long to get familiar with three, four, five plants. You do that every year. And, you know, by the end of a few years, you've got more diversity in your your diet than you can get going to the supermarket any day of the week. You know, a a lot of people go to the supermarket not realizing that broccoli, Cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi—it's it, all the same plant. Um, so when we get out foraging, we can get all sorts of diversity into our diet real quick. And uh, you know, uh, you asked me earlier, Bill, like, well, why why forage? And there's so many different there's so many different aspects that you can hit on it. You know, I, I like how it like integrates me into my ecosystem. There's the warm movement. There's the health aspects. There's the, you know, an increased diversity in your diet aspect. Uh, Kelly, you hit on like the, the, um, the self-sufficiency aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Um, I have people come to my foraging classes and they're like, oh, you're totally ready for the the zombie apocalypse. And
1: all the time. I get it all the time.
2: (laughs) And, and on the one hand, like, that's not like the main reason why this is not even a big reason why I do this although I will say that every now and then you know when uh if I actually pay a look of attention to the news or something and my my anxiety goes up a little bit I'm wearing my shoulders as earrings that uh that particular day you know going to sleep at night it's it's not it's not um discomforting to know that of all the troubles in the world feeding myself is not going to be one of them yeah
1: yeah you 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 touched upon it that it can be a little intimidating as well. And I like to tell my students that a lot of times you already know plants that are edible. You can already identify them. You just don't know that they're edible. And so no. things like as simple as a dandelion, everyone sure. knows what a dandelion is. And you can eat all parts of it. So, you know, it it's just a fact of getting them to know of a, a violet which most people can identify as well.
2: You know, all of those things can be edible. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Kelly. It, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, where do I start? It's like, you've already started nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you already know a few plants, and if you didn't know you can eat dandelions, you know, you do now. Yep. And uh, it, it's it's so much fun. I, I love, uh you know, teaching people about wild edibles and and learning from people about wild edibles. Um, It's just, it's a blast.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So a big, uh, something I've touched on in previous episodes is a lot of the Wisconsin books, they'll start in January and work their way through to December, like uh, San Tony Almanac. But uh, I'm a big fan of starting in April. So like when it's actually like, you know, we're out of winter, uh, spring is there, we're almost there for the most part. We've, we've still got a, a couple uh, snowfalls, but for the most part we're out of, we're in the clear. Let's walk people through uh, Chris and Kelly, like what, what's on your radar for foraging um, in Wisconsin starting in April? So what, what, are we, what are we looking forward to? What are we actively out looking for?
2: So, for, for me, April is uh, a good time to catch the roots once the, the uh, soil has thawed. So, I'm going out and catching a lot of the biennial roots. So, burdock roots, um, uh, what are parsnips, uh, the ones, ones from last year that have been storing up energy and they're going to bolt this year. Uh, I'm looking for those roots. And then I'm also looking for greens, I'm looking for shoots. Um, and then one thing I tell a lot of people in my class is like the snap test, which is kind of like asparagus. I mean, every, almost everybody knows asparagus. Even if you buy it from the store, you know, you, the bottom part you usually discard and, and you, you feel up there until it snaps nice and crisply. Um, and that's going to be a useful, definitely not universal, but a useful guide for a number of different uh, greens in the springtime coming up in April, shoots. Um, and then of course, there's plants that come up a little bit later like Smilax and um, milkweed come to mind that come up a little bit later, but it's, it's that tender growth that snaps nice and easy. Uh, and then looking at leaves, uh, you know, some of the leaves, you know, as long as you know the species is edible, there's some general guidelines that are gonna help you identify whether it's the time of year to harvest them. And that's when your leaves are kind of unfurling they tend to be a little bit transparent, a little bit shiny that new that new growth that hasn't had a t- uh, chance to to harden up and get tough and get bitter yet. So with things like basswood leaves which are probably a, if you're going to fill a salad bowl with them, they're probably prime right about now um, but other leaves that are just starting to come in for the first time like cutleaf coneflower, uh, uh, violets. I, I don't ever fill a salad bowl with violet leaves, but uh, yeah, I definitely throw a few leaves into the salad bowl uh, just to kind of mix things up. But you want to get them while they're still kind of uh, curled up and you can hardly even tell that they have a heart shape because you have to unfold them to get to see that. So um, spring is definitely like April, April, May. Um, that's like your premier season for uh, grabbing roots from last season. Mm -hmm. and uh, finally finding green stuff that's coming up for the first time and for those of us who are you know kind of limiting how much produce that we're buying that's been shipped from the imperial valley of california or or further afield you know if if you've kind of been rationing how much uh, salads you have through through the winter it sure is nice when you start to see green stuff coming in around you and you just go out and and pickets um, starting in April. Definitely uh, by the time May is is, is roll, has rolled around, you've got most things coming in. Like it,
1: I would say I do the same. Um, a lot of salad greens because when they first come up, they're going to be more tender and they're not going to have this much of a bitter taste. So, like Chris said, but I would say one of my biggest things that I forage and store a lot is metal at okay. the beginning of the year um, because it's, it's just coming up and it's real tender and has a really good flavor. Asparagus is one of the early ones, violets. I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of canning with flowers. Okay. So a lot of times things are blooming in late April, early May. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing a lot of harvesting of flowers. And then I also harvest pollen and I'll make like fritters or flour out of uh, different pollens. And so you can start harvesting pollen from that time as well. And then the other thing with pollens, you know, pollens is also a great way to um, build up your immunity towards the allergies. And so if, you, yeah, that. if, you, <laughs> if you use pollens within even making lemonade or you can use it as a as an actual flower, like ground flour, like how you would a wheat flour. Okay. Um, it's a great way to build up your your body against seasonal allergies.
0: Oh, nice. I need to get on some.
1: Goldenrod. Um, yes. Goldenrod has a really heavy, heavy pollen um, that sticks to the plant, and you can make a great lemonade with goldenrod and sumac. I make. Okay. And that's a that's a really good one to have. For, for seasonal
0: allergies. I need to get on that. Yeah, my my early spring allergies are out of control. So that's good to know. And it's a uh, little things like that, I think that you both touched on earlier, but the uh, all these effects that our food, our the ecology right, that's happening between us and our environment, we've just A is the settlers like we're just not aware of right like the landscape was butchered history was butchered and where people were butchered and we've we've lost that or we're just never we never were told or learned that um so we're we're finding these things out now um about how to actually live with the environment not just um butcher everything for industrial agriculture and then take pills right to mass side effects
1: what an empowering exciting Mm -hmm. way to live right Mm -hmm. you know like you can do this yourself and people don't like when they realize they can -hmm. can identify something i can you can see it it's a little intimidating at first but once you once you start i find it almost because i would say that Hunting of animals was a priority in the beginning of my life. We did, we did foraging as well. like mm-hmm. I did. But you know how there are hunters out there who are like big, big buff game animals. That's, that's the exciting, exciting thing for me. When I find a giant area of morales or I find a chicken in the woods or a hen, I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I get just as pumped up as a, as a game animal.
0: Yep. Agreed. Agreed most of, most of my turkey hunting, I'm like, oh, and whoever I'm hunting with is like, what are you talking about? I'm like garlic mustard, ramps, this, that, the other thing. And I'm like stuff in my pockets. I got a backpack just for foraging. And yeah, the vast majority of people I hunt with are just like, what are you doing? I, know.
1: <laughs> I, I intend to go on like say 10 mile hike. I'm gonna go on 10 mile hike. And I get like 500 feet <laughs> and I've already passed like four hours because I'm like, oh, this. this
2: is Definitely, definitely. I, I can't count how many times I, most of my goose hunts, I go out and it's like a, it's like a stroll. It's, it's like a stroll with a shotgun and, a, and occasionally I look upward. Um, I went out for squirrel. I went out for, what did it, I went out for squirrel and uh, last, last fall and, and I came back with turnips and wild grapes, just like buckets full of both of them. Uh, so.
1: Wild grapes were awesome last year. They were yeah. it was prime for grapes
2: last year. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful beautiful things about foraging too is you go out and you're and and I mean a lot of a lot of hunters who might especially like upland upland bird hunters know this too. It's like you go out and you're like you're targeting one species, but as long as the season is right, you know you don't know what you're coming home with. You know you might come out looking for grouse, you might come back with woodcock, you might go out looking for morels but you come up you come back with wood nettle um Mm -hmm. it's kind of neat uh to pull together dinner and and when you leave in the morning it's like I don't know what we're having for dinner it's whatever I find and and then sometimes you're out there and you're just your experience ends up uh, changing the whole the whole menu for the day or the week depending on what you come back with I Um, can't
1: tell you how many times I've Taken things out
2: of the washer or dryer, and I've forgotten that I have stuff stuffed in pockets, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, Yep, yeah, for sure. And one of the things Kelly touched on too briefly there was like the idea of, of of you know foraging, and then you're going on getting food, but then you might be targeting like something that helps with allergies um, or, or something that's medicinal in nature. Uh, and one thing I'm I'm always uh, reminding people of is that you know the food the the, the, the venn diagram of food and medicine overlaps uh, pretty broadly depending on depending on your condition you know if you've if you're suffering from scurvy suddenly oranges are, are medicine for you uh, and I mean uh, I, I gather from uh, from my, the vibe I'm picking up from from this group that you know most of us probably don't eat a whole lot of rice uh, Rice Krispie treats, maybe maybe not. But the thing is, you know, if you're if you're running ultra marathons, that's that's mad, that you know you need that you need fuel, right? So that's that's medicinal in nature. If if you're running a calorie um, deficit at the end of the day, so.
1: A great cure for scurvy is pine needles. Vitamin C is what you want for scurvy, and so pine needles have a great, a ton of vitamin C. So I'll drink. That's one of the things that you talked about foraging in the winter, and um, pine needles is a great one to to harvest in winter, and you can make tea out of it. You can even grind it and put it in cookies and things like that.
2: Absolutely, and and after three rounds with Lyme disease, um, you know I'm not. I'm not one to knock Western medicine. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a time and place for doxycycline, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when I when I can like give, when I can give, when my kids have like a, a sore throat or a cough or something and I can give them honey that's been infused with uh, wild bergamot leaves or wild bergamot flowers, um, you know, and, and they, they feel better almost automatically, that just, that feels like such a win. Uh, what what the side effects are of some of those medicines not not that not that wild medicines can't have side effects too but uh it just it just feels good to be able to go out your back door uh, or go into a, a nearby natural area and, and gather a little bit of medicine or a little bit of food or, or you know building materials for projects or all sorts of all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff feels it just feels good to be integrated into the ecosystem and be a, a, a part player of it and not an observer or not feel so divorced from it.
1: That's two of the classes that I teach for the boat program. Um, so I teach a class on wild teas that are medicinal. We go through about 40 different plants. Um, and then I've got a bunch of dried herbs and, and bark. And things like that. People can actually make their own custom teas Mm -hmm. that, so say someone's having digestion issues, they can go through and, um, you know, the reusable tea bags that they can go through and pick and make their own teas and they get the, they think that that is the coolest thing. Um, But I also do a skincare class where we use wild herbs to create a line, you know, we make pine sap sap, Mm -hmm. um, and some lotions and. Uh, other things that are, are good for your skin. So, you know, people learning that, then you don't have to depend as much on commercial items, and I think that that's, people really appreciate that. And, th- and then they also have the ownership of I made this.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. like it. We're, so we're what is today, May 25th, end of May. I definitely want to touch on some of the more popular Wisconsin forage items, too. So we we've touched on sustainability. we touched on, um, you know, the removal in, of invasives, but for native perennial foods that we're out foraging, you know, you've got your ramps, your morels. I just, I, I picked up some oyster mushrooms yesterday when I, I went out to train the dog and I was like, oh, oysters. And Mar- Marissa, my partner's just shaking her head. So there I am, I've got my training bag, all the dog stuff. And then in the front pocket, it's just full of oyster mushrooms. And I grabbed one fencing back. I was like, I'll grab him. He's, I got to do a little bit more work to eat that one, but we can make it. We can make it happen. Uh, so, Chris Kelly, what are we? What are we all looking for now, or we're looking for in May that uh, potentially weren't you, you? or you have to be thinking about sustainability when it comes to harvesting these foods.
2: Milkweed comes to mind. Milkweed shoots are coming are coming in right now, and that that's one where like it's both. Um, It's both seasonal uh, for the shoots uh, they're coming in right now the pods will come later and you definitely want to be thinking about sustainability. I don't worry a whole lot about people harvesting milkweed because there's not a whole lot of people harvesting milkweed and uh, but when you when you go on to that magical place that is social media um, you'll you'll sometimes see people saying, oh, don't pick all the milkweed you're gonna you know you won't leave any behind for monarch butterflies and uh, you know I, I know very, very few people that are going out there and just removing the plant wholesale from the environment um, and anybody who goes out and harvests milkweed wants there to be more milkweed so, you know, they're going to be seeing, making sure that it gets spread if it's at all within their power to do so. Um, they're going to make sure it gets propagated. But you know, it, is, it is definitely a, a factor for consideration with monarch butterfly populations going down. It, I, if, even if I don't um, share the, the sense that people are going to actually hurt the monarch butterfly population by harvesting milkweed for their consumption, I share the the idea, like the feeling behind the concern that, hey, this is, you know, we need to make sure that we're keeping this sustainable and that we're keeping in mind other members of the ecosystem that are gonna use this plant too. Uh, So that's kind of an area where uh, seasonal items that's hot right now um, needs to be tied in with sustainability. I'd say
1: the biggest, item of plants that people get real roughed up about for sustainability is ramp. Mm -hmm. You'll see Mm -hmm. a lot of divisiveness over ramp. Um, And while it's true, I usually tell people that it's been peripheral. Um, You'll see people who will wipe out an entire patch of ramps. And Mm -hmm. and it's not that they're just taking one leaf. Um, They're digging out the roots as well. And for me, I tell my students it's okay to dig out the roots as long as you're doing it sustainably. Mm -hmm. Um, You will find some people that will say it is not okay to dig out ramp roots because it takes so long for them to establish. Um, But like with any plant, I think that as long as you're following a guide where you're only harvesting a certain amount and then you're leaving the last, the the rest of them to be able, (coughs) excuse me, to be able to reproduce, Mm -hmm. I think that that's a good guide to go on. Um, but you'll see people who will say with any plant, not to harvest the whole, the entire plant. And I don't necessarily go by that, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking invasives. Um, over-harvesting is a, if you're, if you're on any sort of uh, foraging forum or anything like that is a, is a huge hot button for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, people get really protective of things. so. Uh, some people even say like don't harvest all the mushrooms and a mushroom is not something that you can over harvest it's a fruit like what you see an apple on an apple tree Mm -hmm. you wouldn't say don't harvest all of the apples on the apple tree because they're going to grow back every year the same as it's the same with a mushroom Mm -hmm. Um, you can harvest the actual fruit of the mushroom Uh, the rest of it is going to be there to, to come back next year so I think just a little bit of research mm. in what you're harvesting um, to know whether you definitely don't ever want to harvest anything that's rare or um, isn't populated in an area you want to try and find an area that that has a ample amount that you're that you're not gonna you have to remember that I might come through and harvest a couple of randoms but you might be right behind me and someone behind you and so, um, we have to be able to look at an area and analyze whether it's going to be something that you're putting a dent in the population. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah Kelly's, Kelly's absolutely right. I mean, I think it's a human condition that we really like, you know, yes or no answers, black and white. But with sustainability, with, with conservation in general, a lot of times it's a game of, well, What's your context, or, um, or you know, I I like to tell people, you know, it's not just politics where there's never a position so lonely as one that starts off. Well, it depends, you know, it's it's nuanced. There's, 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 there's a middle ground here, you know, uh, sustaining a sustainable harvest from a five by five ramp patch in Wisconsin's driftless is going to look so different. Than a five acre ramp patch in Sheboygan County. Um, so it, it really depends a lot. Uh, for me, though, that's part of the magic of it is, is finding out, like, well, why are these habitats so different? You know, why can I find this plant in abundance in one place and not in abundance somewhere else? What does it look like to be sustainable in, in, in one place and why does it look so different in another place? I mean, It's a lot like managing wildlife populations, you know, it it depends, managing deer in Northern Wisconsin looks very different than managing deer in Southern Wisconsin. Um, And what a sustainable harvest is gonna look like for better or worse is gonna be very different uh, between two individuals depending on what, you know, what uh, demographic of the deer herd they're, they're going for. Are they going for big bucks? Are they looking to fill the freezer? you know, what, what, are they, what are they looking to do with it? So I just wanted to like second Kelly's point about, you know, it's, it's something you definitely have to do your homework on. Um, and, you know, if, if you go out there and accidentally over harvest a ramp patch, but your intentions were good, you find out later that, oh geez, I, I didn't realize that I should have probably only taken 10% of this one patch and I took half of them now you know better, you know, we're, we're all, all of us are always learning. Um, sometimes, especially with social media, sometimes we learn the hard way. Um,
1: oh, it's true that. Isn't that just crazy? I mean, people have, <laughs> we all started somewhere and it, and to me, I want to always encourage beginners. It's really important to me to always back up beginners and, and, and encourage them. And, and if they make a mistake to let them know that, so, this, just to be mindful in the future, this is what, you know, and, and never, I would say, bash them, especially because isn't it great to have other people learning these skills? They, I think it's, it's almost, to me, it's almost as exciting to have teach someone and watch them find these things um, as it is to find them myself. I love working with, with students and watching them grow
2: and blossom and learn. Oh, absolutely. When you, when you see people just kind of get that, that, uh, that sense of curiosity and they, and they just uh, find something clicks there and you see, you can see it in their eyes and it's, it's, it's magic. And I mean, I I know personally, and when I'm learning things, that's, it, it just feels so good to be like, oh, that's what's going on in the ecosystem or, oh, that's, that's what's going on with, you know, how this one plant interacts with another plant. Um, I find it endlessly interesting and, and I love seeing students kind of get turned on to that uh, and, and to what Kelly said about getting more people out there, you know, if, even though not everybody's gonna love garlic mustard, I mean, not everybody loves anything under the sun, um, but um, if we had a lot of people going out there and making pesto with garlic mustard, that would, be, that would be wonderful, you know, if people they could go out and harvest this plant that has been analyzed and shown to be incredibly nutritious, that's, that's why Eastern Europeans brought it over here in the first place. It, it wasn't some stowaway, it was brought over here intentionally for its food value. You know, if people knew about it, they could identify it, They knew even if they knew it was a problem, they knew that they could pick as much as they want. You know, our, our woodlots in Wisconsin and the upper Midwest would look a lot better if, if people felt empowered to just go out and gather this stuff, maybe throw a little bit in the salad, maybe throw the rest in the garbage, in, th- in that particular case. Um, but uh, it, it's, it, it just, it would be a neat thing to see people connected at that level with, with, their, with their environment. Agreed.
0: I guess so got yeah, it's 10 o'clock we're gonna we'll get wrapped up with one more thing so we're, we're headed into june memorial day weekend that stuff what are what are the two of you looking forward to foraging in the next couple of weeks or months
1: i'm going for mushrooms with the rain right now mm-hmm. um, it's been raining this last week and so i'm headed out uh, a lot of people are finding chickens right now and that's chicken in the woods and mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite mushrooms I like to harvest and freeze for throughout the year. Um, I also like to make a lot of jams out of blossoms, so I'm going for that. Um, fruit tips are just about ending, but I like to harvest fruit tips so that I have I can make like a simple syrup mm-hmm. with that. Um,
0: what are you What are you looking for? Um, I guess pick one of those. What are you specifically looking for? My foraging style. I'm terrible about actual like habitat identification I just walk a lot and I I wander and so that's how I find stuff but like what are you specifically looking for?
1: That's the same thing I do Okay. because because seasons are so crazy you never know what conditions are going to produce what so a lot of times I don't target one species and I'm going out looking for it unless I'm thinking about that Mm -hmm. Um, then I'll specifically go out and and look for it. But most of the time, what I do is wander as well. And, and I find, um, what's, what's going at that time. Cause it's, it's never a given that May 1st, morel will pop. Mm-hmm. It depends a lot on the weather patterns, the moisture, how warm and how cold out it is. So, you know, I'm going out maybe May 1st foraging, but I'm mm-hmm. not necessarily targeting one season. Usually, you know, asparagus, you can usually target pretty,
2: Pretty consistent
0: every year, but with everything else, it really varies. Yeah.
2: What about you, Chris? Absolutely. Um, I am not going to actually be targeting mushrooms that much because I had such a great mushroom year last year that I still have quarts of dried mushrooms left over from last year. Um, I don't know if they've quite made their way into into y'all's neighbor neck of the woods, but um, the golden oysters have moved in. Uh, into southern Wisconsin now and you know if you're just looking for a cheap, easy, mushroom, mushroom, basic thing that you'd want to throw in like a venison stroganoff or something like that, you know I dried I dried probably 20 plus quart jars full of those last year because when you find a log or two that is just covered with those, it's, it's all about food dehydrator management at that point, cycling through and keeping them, keeping the rest of the refrigerator um, Despite the the side eye your your wife might be throwing you, you have a whole refrigerator full of mushrooms while you're cycling through the dehydrator. A chicken of the woods is one that I will go out of my way to look for, though, and it has been popping up um, a little bit earlier than usual in Wisconsin. Um, I would say, I love pickling chicken of the woods Ooh. and on uh, and putting it on pizza. Um, mm. The tane of that vinegar for for pickled chicken of the woods, like with the cheese on the pizza, it's just, oh, so good. Um, So I I am gonna do a little bit of mushroom targeting um, and and Kelly's right, we've had the rains now, a little bit of a rough morel season, at least their their first half of the morel season down here in Southern Wisconsin, because, and this was the same thing for last year, uh, you know, right when the soil temps were hitting 53, it was when they start popping up and just, we didn't have good rains right in that window which is kind of a neat thing too with foraging where like nothing you can't ever count on anything and you know I think uh, at least most of us that, that little bit of anticipation and sometimes that disappointment but oh well next time we'll see how it goes that can really like add some magic to it and I think most of us that do any hunting and fishing already are already familiar with that you know something something hoped for has a higher value than something assured which I think I'm, I'm automatically paraphrasing all the Leopold there. Um, But uh, I'm going to be targeting the late, the latter half of the spring greens. So I'm going to go out and try to fill a couple salad bowls of basswood leaves. um, uh, Catch uh, the second, the second round of growth for the cutleaf coneflowers coming in. Um, And then some of those early summer greens, the the ones that don't tolerate a frost at all, but come up later, like your milkweed shoots. Um, and some others. Um, I'm going to be kind of catching the, the latter edge of the spring uh, the spring greens and the and the uh, the front edge of the uh, the summer greens, I'm trying to make the most of those. And then also also uh, I think Kelly mentioned this earlier. Nettles. Uh, I'm going to be uh, we're we're getting towards the tail end of when the nettles are still are still good, and I'm going to be trying to just uh, get cut as much as I can and, and get them maybe pureed and into the freezer to, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about, you know, what is, what is December me going to be thanking, uh, be thanking, um, uh, you know, early June or late May me for for doing or putting up. Um, so I'll be trying to have an eye for what I stick into the freezer right now or, or into the, in, into the dehydrator right now for later use. I
1: would say, um... A lot of times I'll harvest flowers and then make my jams in the winter because you know winter will spend pretty long. <laughs> so I'll do I'll do my jams. I'll freeze the blossoms now and do some of the jams and berries later. Um, and then I'll also do nuts. I'll roast the nuts, but then I won't do the hard part of harvesting. Um, or even grinding like acorns into acorn flour, I'll wait for during winter mm-hmm. to, to do that. So I'm always doing something foraging, it might just not be actively harvesting.
2: Yeah, absolutely absolutely right there. A lot of people are intimidated too, because they're like, well, if I go out and pick, you know, a couple bags full of this stuff, you know, what am I going to do? And, and absolutely, some of these wild foods, it's like, you, you got to get to it now or never, because um, like some of your mushrooms, they're, they're gonna, they're you know, they're, they're not gonna freeze well or they're not gonna dry well. Some of them do, some of them don't. Um, but a lot of times, like like Kelly mentioned, I, I've got wild rice from last year that is still down in the basement waiting to get uh, parched and danced and winnowed. Um, I've got nuts from last year that I, I did a whole bunch of them over the winter, but I didn't get to all of them, and that's, that's fine. I mean. They're in a perfectly good storage container right now in their shells. I've got hickory nuts and malt, black walnuts from last year, so you know, to the beginning forager who's like thinking, "Oh, well, I've got to, I've got to know how to make, you know, how to take care of these products, soup to nuts, literally." Um, you know, you don't always, you don't always have to know everything. You, as long as you know the plant, and you know, like, oh, is this something that could wait? You know. By all means, go out and grab a whole bunch of acorns and you know make sure that you're putting them someplace where the mice can't get to them. But uh, yeah, January is a great time to be processing your your acorns for sure. And
1: it keeps you with the <laughs> with the season because oh, it's sure. so long. You're like just a little longer, okay. just a little longer. It feels <laughs> like you're still involved in it
0: for sure. Well, where can so if anyone listening was like whoa, that was, that was a lot, I want to learn more, or they understood a little bit like I did, and I still want to learn more, Uh, where can people find the two of you, find your, what do you, what do you've got going on, so Kelly, what's, what's going on with uh, Becoming an Outdoors Woman?
1: With COVID, things kind of got a little crazy, and we're just starting to be able to do classes again, Um, but the Becoming an Outdoors Woman program is not only in Wisconsin, we're an international program, So I would look on the Becoming an Outdoors Woman webpage, um, and just Google Google Bow, Becoming an Outdoors Woman. There's an event page and it also leads to all of the other states and what they're doing. And I would say pretty much all of the states have foraging. Um, That's kind of a cool thing too. If if you wanna go to a California bow program, you're gonna learn about foraging in California or Florida Mm -hmm. or Maine. And so you'll have different species there. For me, I'll be teaching at all of the upcoming bow workshops I'm going to be doing some wild teas. I'll be doing some skincare, things like that. Wherever, wherever they need me, you know, I'll be there. And then I also work for um, Green Adventures and we guide internationally. And I touch on foraging and some of the trips that we
0: take there too. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Kelly. Chris, what about yourself? You've always got some park wandering foraging thing going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I run classes through my business, Eagle Outdoor Skills. Uh, so I can be found at eagleoutdoorskills.com and I've got a Facebook page, uh, Eagle Outdoor Skills on Facebook and Eagle underscore outdoor underscore skills uh, at, at Instagram uh, is where I post a lot of my classes. Um, and then coming up fair, fairly soon, it'll probably be announced that um, the Midwest Wild Foods Harvest Festival is a really big event that's held in Prairie du Chien, And like Kelly mentioned, a lot of things got canceled due to COVID. Um, you know, to be honest, part of the reason why I'm here right now is because of COVID. Because last year, I had to cancel all my classes at the beginning of the year, and I got bored. And I was like, well, what do I do? And, and you know, being a Midwesterner, I'm, I, I tend to not like, like put out a whole bunch of like, oh, look what I did on social media and whatnot. But I was I was bored cause COVID. And so I started like just Instagramming and, and putting on Facebook, all my meals that I was making. Uh, and, you know, people started seeing those and they were like, oh, this is awesome. And I'd like to, I'd like to like, how are you getting all these ingredients and everything? So, you know, that's that's actually how I think I, I made it onto a lot of people's radar was just <laughs> being bored due to COVID and throwing my, throwing my meals up on Instagram and people were like, well oh, that's pretty neat. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, so, I do, I do a number of classes and workshops, um, and I'm, I'm available for, for private hire too. Uh, some people like have me do a small group, uh, small group classes where they pull uh, together like a neighborhood association or something like that, and they want to know what they can forge in, in their local park and whatnot. So, I can be contacted uh, through any of those uh, places I just mentioned eagleoutdoorskills.com. Awesome.
0: Perfect. Thank you, thank you both for uh, coming on the show and sharing sharing your passion and your knowledge. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be touching base again this summer. And Chris, I really want to get you at the Wisconsin Rendezvous as a as a speaker. So we'll be I'll be hitting you up with details for that as
2: well. That would be awesome. Lots of fun. I always have fun with that group. Awesome.
0: Cool. Uh, everybody watching or listening, thank you for coming out.
1: Thank you.